Hello and welcome to One in Four, talking mental health with Abby Lacey and friends. In this series, I'll be chatting to friends about their mental health, how they cope, their support systems, advice they've learned and advice they'd like to pass on. Please note the topics in this podcast may not be suitable for all listeners. On today's One in Four, I'm joined by Esther Nagel. Esther and I met each other uh, virtually at the Make a Difference Summit back in October. We met in a virtual coffee room and hit it off straight away, talking about yoga, the fact that neither of us drink, and about her ADHD. So it was ideal that Esther came on the podcast today to talk more about it. Hi Esther, how are you today? And I mean, how are you really? Not just, yeah, I'm good, it's all fine. How are you (laughs) really, really? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good today. I've had, I, I had a bit of a, a restful weekend, um, which is my version of restful, which is still doing quite a lot, but yeah. giving myself 400 things on a to-do list to do. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of breathing over the last couple of days and that's been making me feel really good. And today we had a really good team meeting where I found out I get some time off from work at Christmas brilliant yes feeling very happy today so esther what's our connection why are you here well we met at the um mad world summit we we chatted in one of the meetings we we i i I saw you and i saw the title of your podcast and i thought oh i want to talk to this lady (laughs) so i asked if we could have a one-to-one and we did and i seem to remember it being the absolute highlight of the Mad World. Oh, thank you. It was lovely, wasn't it? It was such a good summit, wasn't it? It was. It was great. It was really good. There was so much interesting stuff there. It was really good. And uh, yeah, I I met some great people. Um, I think I enjoyed the networking aspect of it more than the rest of it. Definitely. Uh, We've basically been connected since, haven't we? Over Instagram stuff and liking each other's posts. Stalking you on on Instagram (laughs) ever since. (laughs) So Esther, what's your mental health story? Oh gosh, well, I, the big one, the big mental health story is um, I, I had a a rather bad drinking problem for 20 years. Mm. And I didn't even realise if you told me seven years ago that I had a drinking problem, I would have told you I absolutely do not. Um, I just like a drink. Mm. I never, ever once admitted that I had a drinking problem, even though there were occasional moments when I knew, you know, I knew, but I couldn't bring myself to admit it. Yeah. I would do things like, you know, hide my recycling because we have clear recycling bags. So I would hide my recycling sometimes and let it stagger out how much how quick how often I would put the stuff out and maybe put stuff in black bags rather than recycling them because I was embarrassed by how many cans of Strongbow I was throwing away each mm. um but yeah I saw 20 years of of addiction and um <clears throat> through those 20 years I had lots of other issues as well and um the, the biggest sort of hurdle that I had to overcome that you know that was a really life-changing moment was um, in 2005 my brother died and he he was my younger brother by just under two years so I I don't even remember meeting him you know he was just always there yeah and it took me a really long time to 
begin to feel like I was getting over it. I'm, it took me probably until I got sober and then was able to start processing my emotions properly. So that was like nearly 10 years, nine years after his death, I was still kind of processing it really. Mm. Do you think you were um, numbing? Were you numbing your feelings with the alcohol? Oh, do you reckon? absolutely! I numbed yeah. every emotion I had. I mean, it was. You know, I think Brene Brown talks about the fact you can't just numb the the, the bad feelings. You numb yeah. everything. But I did. I numbed. Like there wasn't a single occasion that wasn't a good excuse to have a drink. Yeah. Um. And particularly, you know, if I was feeling bad about something, then I would, I would absolutely drown that. Um drown those feelings in an awful lot of wine um I, I i became sophisticated towards the end i stopped drinking cans of cider and i started drinking <laughs> um sometimes drinking the wine in pint glasses so i wasn't all that sophisticated okay fair enough <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i mean i numbed everything and it wasn't just with alcohol as well i was a i was a smoker despite being asthmatic since childhood i smoked mm. And I also smoked an awful lot of marijuana, mm. which is also incredibly good at numbing. But but the I mean, cigarettes do the same thing. They they are a, a numbing tool as well. So I was taking every opportunity I could find to numb how I felt about life. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was, and, and, and <laughs> having pro- had to process some very difficult emotions in the years since I stopped drinking, I can understand why, because it's living hard. Mm. <laughs> It's really hard, and particularly if you don't have the resilience to be able to actually deal with your emotions, you know. It's yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, um, so in 2013, which was seven years ago now, I, I was like, after a long, long time of, of trying to deal with all kinds of issues in my life, um, you know, still processing my brother's death, dealing with um, relationship breakup and the fallout of that in terms of my son and custody and contact. And my mum had cancer and there was um, and, and, and the discovery of somebody else who had a drinking problem in the family as well, which was oh, right. okay. for me because I could sort of see my behaviour reflecting back at me and I was a bit confused as to why it wasn't me that was kind of free falling. Yeah. Um, but then eventually I did, um, and I had a complete breakdown in August of 2013, and I had to give up my job. Uh, I, I mean, I, I chose to give up my job because it was the only, it seemed to be the only thing I could actually let go of, that all the other things that were causing me problems were family-related, and I couldn't let go of any of that, of well, my nearly 30 grand a year job. Um, and in that space, then I just allowed myself to to fall into this breakdown, which I think was a very long time coming. I think I needed that breakdown for a very, very long time. And I'm and, and an awful lot of very, very strange and very bad decisions that I made at that time. I decided to train to be a yoga teacher. And that was my I need a new way of earning money. What shall I do? answer you know that that was the solution to that problem I thought I'll train to be a yoga teacher and I learned money doing that did you have a big passion for yoga already I did yes yes I'd already been um going to yoga since um I think it was probably about a year after my brother died um I started walking after my brother died and hiking and, and you know I would be out on the mountains at any possible opportunity I would be out in nature 
And from that, it gave me a bit of a more of a connection to my body than I'd ever had. I started going to yoga and yeah, fell in love with yoga completely. So yeah, I thought I wanted to be a yoga teacher at some point for quite a long time anyway. As luck would have it or the stars aligned, not sure. It feels like divine intervention in some way. It's um, a teacher that I had never heard of. I didn't know her, but she started promoting her first ever teacher training course at the same time I decided I wanted to be a yoga teacher. So I did this teacher training expecting I was just going to learn how to teach yoga and learn how to teach people to get into postures. It changed my life. It changed my life completely in ways <laughs> I had absolutely no expectation of. I mean, if you told me, then I would have probably not done it mm. because I, I was learning how to relax. I was learning how to breathe. I learned how to breathe properly for the first time in my life. And it changed everything for me. And I started to be able to actually deal with my emotions. And I started to be able to sleep without needing to numb to, to be able to fall asleep. I would, I would use a bottle of wine as a sleeping aid, you know, yeah. wonder why I was exhausted in the morning. So yeah, through this yoga teacher training, I began to process my past, I began to process my emotions, all the pain and the trauma that I've been carrying around with me for years. And six months into that training, I woke up one morning with the worst hangover anyone has ever had, ever. <laughs> I was lying there kind of almost wishing, you know, right, take me now. I don't want to live anymore. This is too horrible. And I decided I was never going to do that to myself again. And mm. I done that to myself since I have been sober since that moment because what I realized was that I didn't need alcohol the way I used to because I had actual coping strategies now drinking wasn't something that I needed to do for the oblivion that it used to give me it was something that I'd been doing for fun for a few months or for maybe not I don't know that time that night certainly was just about fun I was just lying thinking well this isn't fun you know there's nothing fun about this um this just hurts and I feel really bad about myself um I'm not doing any of the things I wanted to do today because I'm lying here like the living dead and so I slowly started to embrace sobriety I didn't tell myself at first that I was going to give up drinking I just focused every day on I'm staying sober today. I'm going to remember going to bed tonight, waking up in the morning. I wake up and think about how good I felt and how nice it was to remember going to bed, how nice it was not to wake up with a mouth that felt like a pub carpet. Yeah. Um, and just really focused on the positives of being sober so that um, by the time it was my brother's wedding, six weeks later, and I decided not to indulge in you know, there were the waiters going around just topping glasses up, you know, just ask and it shall be given. And I chose to stay sober that night. And I had such a good time <laughs> that I thought, no, this is it. This is how I want to live now. Did anybody question you, interestingly, about you not drinking that day? Nobody questioned me that day because um, my mum my doesn't drink. She chose to stop drinking a long time ago because... Um, she would get headaches when she, you know, she'd have a tiny little drink of wine and she'd get a headache. So she stopped a long time ago. Yeah. Because in my family had stopped because of the whole drinking issue that I, I mentioned earlier on. Yeah. 
and also my family know what I get like when I'm drunk so I think yeah. I'm actually quite pleased um, <laughs> because I you know I I would have got completely hammered and I would yeah. making a fool of myself and so I think everyone was just quite relieved really um, I don't think anybody really knew the extent of my problem mm. um people seem people even even my friends who had used to drink with me seemed quite surprised when I suddenly started talking like oh I was an alcoholic yeah uh, because they didn't realize how much I would drink on my own because I kept myself you know. But I guess that's part of it, though, isn't it? It's, yes. it's laced with secrecy. Yes, um, absolutely. And, you know, you going out with them and getting pissed with them could have just been, you know, that night, that week. What they're not seeing is you at home, mm. as you say, yes. possibly drinking wine out of a pint glass, having mm. sophisticated yourself from Strongbow. <laughs> but, they're, but they're not seeing that. They're just, all they see is the sociable Yes. You, and what they also didn't know is that if we were going out or if I was going to their house, there was a really good chance I would have had a couple of drinks before I left. Yeah. And they'd wonder why I didn't seem to be able to hold my drink mm. because I was already halfway there down before I started. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so you know, that was that was interesting sort of talking to my friends. And I, I think like most people with um, drinking issues, I'd created a social life that existed entirely for people who like getting drunk. Mm. So that was quite interesting to see, you know, which friends have I still got left six years later. That's been a, an interesting journey because you realise that a lot of your friends are just people who are out in the same pub as you or yeah. who go to the same gigs as you. And that actually you have nothing to talk about when you're not drunk. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was that was really it's been really interesting. And I mean, the, the, the personal development, the, the sobriety and the, the resilience building that comes with actually having to feel your way through life instead of hiding from your problems has mm. been incredibly challenging at times it's not been an easy six years to stay sober especially not this year um and it's fascinating like the things i've learned about alcohol since i stopped drinking i just think oh this is what they should teach in school <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely. not 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 um algebra who needs algebra <laughs> not not don't drink but this is what alcohol is actually going to do to your body yeah that's what's really shocked me it's like I I think if I really understood what alcohol was doing to my body and to my mental health, I might have other tools earlier because yeah. shocking. Shocking, it really is. Um, you've also been, is it I think it's a recent diagnosis, isn't it, of ADHD? Yes. Yes. So I got diagnosed um just over a year ago. I worked it out about a year before that. Mm. And um, yeah, that's been a, I mean, I look back at my life now and I think that the addiction and everything else, they were all glaring warning signs of undiagnosed ADHD. You know, I can see every challenge I've ever had in my life. Um, everything about me screams ADHD. Now mm -hmm. I understand what ADHD is. And I know that my addiction, while there were specific triggers for it, I know that that at the root of those triggers were the low self-esteem that comes from growing up with ADHD in a world that isn't built for people with ADHD, mm. not knowing that the reason you function differently isn't because you're lazy or fickle or messy or all the other things that you get called when you've got ADHD, but it's because you've got ADHD. Yeah. I thought I was not very much use as a person 
And everything that I have ever come up against that has been really hard for me in my life has had that as its root problem is that lack of self-esteem and really low self-esteem, like really, really low self-esteem that, that comes from growing up basically being told I'm doing everything wrong. Mm. I am wrong. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm wrong. Learning about ADHD has been really difficult because what happens when you get diagnosed with ADHD when you're 46, you've had an incredibly challenging life, is that you start to, A, feel resentful to all the people who you think should have picked it up. Yeah. Um, and that's really challenging when those people are predominantly your parents. <laughs> mm. uh, but, um, but also there's this massive grieving process that I was not prepared for. So I had to, you know, as I learned more about ADHD, I started thinking about all the different ways that my life could have been different. Mm. And, you know, so the what if, ifs, isn't it? What if, if, mm. what if mum and dad had known about this when I was 10? What if I'd known about this when I was 20? What would I have done differently if I'd known that this is how my brain works rather than who I am? Mm. And it was, it's, it's been a really, interesting like I was not prepared for the emotional turmoil that the diagnosis would take on me um but this is where my yoga practices really helped me because you know those same tools that I used to help me get sober and to keep to stay sober for the last six years have also helped me get through that because it's all about processing of emotions mm. and that is what my yoga practice and my breath practice in particular has given me is these ability you know I can just if I'm feeling overwhelmed I can just sit with that and I don't I mean I have days when I you know I'll try and numb so I'll spend all day scrolling through Facebook or watching Netflix sometimes you know it's too much you can't necessarily deal with it all when you're actually going through it yeah of course you can you you know you take that time and then you can come back and you can process what you're feeling and I think that my kind of evolution through learning about myself with ADHD has been much quicker than it would have been if I if I hadn't had those tools because they've stopped me well I'm pretty sure that that I might have had a slightly different take on the wisdom of drinking during the pandemic if I hadn't had those yeah. tools. Uh, because at the at the start of the pandemic I just started a new job I was still trying to figure out who I am and you know I was still seeing this diagnosis still trying to understand myself and then we go into lockdown. I was being a full-time single mum for a month because my son couldn't see his dad. And it was so challenging. And I was so stressed out with it. Yeah. I, I really think that if I hadn't had those practices, my my 2020 might have looked very different. And I might not be talking to you about, you know, staying sober in 2020. Way. Um, I don't know. Because obviously I didn't go there, so I don't know. But I know that it was that challenging that, that would have been tempting, certainly. Obviously, as far as coping mechanisms, because I always ask people what their coping mechanisms and support and everything else. Yoga is a massive thing for you and yeah. the breath work and everything that you've already mentioned. And you mentioned about grief. Have you had any counselling about that? Yeah, I did have some counselling. After my brother died, I had some counselling through work but I was also like I kind of I think in that first year after my brother um my brother died I changed man my manager left mm. 
before my brother died. And then his deputy, who I'd always got on really well with, was appointed manager. And then I wanted to apply for the deputy role, which I knew I could do. I didn't get it because I was a mess and I didn't, you know, I did really badly in the interview mm. because I was so, I mean, this was less than, a, this was about a month after my brother died. I should never have been encouraged to apply for it, I don't think, really. I ended up becoming really unhappy within that team. I didn't like his management style. I, I And I think I put all my kind of rage and anger on my brother's death onto him. And, mm. And his, the, the guy who got the deputy job. And so all of my unhappiness got focused on him. So my counseling sessions basically just ended up being an hour a week of me bitching about work. Yeah. Which, you know, with hindsight, I think maybe the counselor maybe could have steered me away from that a little bit and talked about, you know, because I didn't talk. I don't think I, I, I think I hardly talked about my brother at all. Mm. Um, and I kind of wish that she'd forced me to a little bit. Because all I was doing was focusing on being unhappy at work. But interestingly, and I've, I've forgotten about this until just now, there was one point when I was talking to her and I happened to mention that, that I was really uncomfortable um, in the liver area. And I didn't think about it. At the oh, interesting. In my, in my stomach. And it was, I mean, I, I kind of had this insight into she was thinking this I mentioned this pain in my liver area and she gave me this little look that I started processed afterwards mm. and, um, I think that that she probably spotted what that was and she yeah. was and you know maybe that's a conversation that should have happened really. that's bizarre isn't it if she's she's giving you a look but obviously at the time you didn't you hadn't mm. realized there was anything wrong yeah so yeah. you kind of wonder why she didn't say. So Esther, how much mm. do you drink? <laughs> yes, yeah, I, In- I, it's, 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 it's odd, isn't it? Because mm. That would have possibly been a really good thing for us to explore. <laughs> 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 maybe, maybe it might have made a little bit of a difference in my life. I don't know. But I you, have, you don't know. You weren't. You might not have been ready at that time. I was just going to say. I probably would have ready. lied. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. 14 minutes a week why would you ask yes it was just one night I never <laughs> drink like that normally <laughs> um so yeah I had some counseling then and then a couple of years later I was in a different job and I did I attended the stress awareness staff training day and ended up completely freaking out um because I I Obviously, I buried a lot of my emotions and this stress awareness stuff really triggered some stuff in me. And I completely freaked out and um, got referred to um, counselling again, which work paid for for me. Um, So she was she was better. I liked her. I mean, it must have been a different style of counselling. I felt or maybe I was more ready for it. I don't know. Um, But, you know, it didn't really it was just nice to go and have somewhere to someone to talk to. I don't think it really helped because I then managed to get myself into a ridiculously terrible relationship, which had low self-esteem Esther all over it. Um, so I wasn't quite right. Um, but then after, so last year when I uh, asked my doctor for um, diagnosis, mm. he, he also referred to me, referred me, for some counselling as well, because I was in a bit of a bad way when I'd asked for the, the 
referral. Yeah. But it was, it was like my, my own self-awareness kind of got in the way of the counseling relationship there because I'd be going in and talking about stuff, but I'd also be analyzing myself at the same time. <laughs> You've done too I much know why work. I do this. <laughs> <laughs> so after a few weeks, she said to me, look, I'm happy for you to carry on, but, but do you think you actually need this? I said, well, it's really nice to come here and talk to you, but no, I don't think I do. Because I was like counselling myself, really. <laughs> that's good. Maybe that's another thing you could go into. <laughs> yes, because yes. I've done an awful lot of like almost like psychoanalysis on myself over the years. So yeah, because when we met, you said you you do so much research, don't you? Mm. Yes, yes, I was. Well, ADHD so you know, find out about something and then I have to know about it yeah exactly um so yeah <laughs> so Esther what's the best piece of advice you've received whether it's you know it could be about any number of things whether it's your yoga about drinking um a quote what's what's the thing that's really got you and you've gone right I'm going to remember that learn to breathe properly mm to breathe learn to breathe it's 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 the and 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 remember and come back to your breath you know always come back to your breath um because you know without our breath we we've, we've got nothing mm. and you know you can you can use your breath to just get through life you know you can just let your body breathe for you and just get through life or you can learn how to breathe and when you learn how to breathe you can take control of your emotions or you can manage your emotions or mm. you can at least be aware of your emotions. And if you can have any kind of degree of awareness and control over your emotions, then you can shape how you react to the world and how you react to your own head. And you can change your life. Learning to breathe saved my life. Um, Absolutely, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't learned to breathe properly. And it's, it is the most powerful thing that I've ever done. And I'm deepening my understanding of the breath all the time. And I'm, you know, I'm going through a course now and I'm learning different practices and developing my relationship with my breath even more. And I can see how much stronger I am even than I was six months ago and I know that so much of it is down to the way I breathe and the mm. way that I allow my breath to give me that space um to 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 process and to be um you know I've got ADHD so I've got a very busy mind so at no point do I ever sit and achieve anything even close to mental silence or stillness yeah you know, I've always got thoughts I've always got a couple of thoughts you know <laughs> at least a couple of different things going on in my head at any one time but when I sit and and focus on my breath I can kind of see what I'm thinking it's like I can have is it like I a meditation time... for you do you use well, it like a meditation I don't call it meditation because mm. in sort of traditional yogic um, language meditation is a state to get to rather than something to do so I don't think of it as meditation mm. um, it is a practice of sitting and, and breathing and being so I might just sit and, and count 
um, one, two, three, four, five, six, as I breathe in and then do the same as I breathe out and keep that going. Or I may have, I, there's other breathing practices that I do. Um, but it's that being conscious of the breath. And the more you can become conscious of your breath, the, the more you become conscious of your emotions because we, the, the, your breath will show you your emotions before your brain has even cottoned on to what's going on because our body, our bodies feel, you know, we, we get the, the, the emotions in our bodies. Yeah, no, I completely get that because I used to suffer from this kind of shallow, almost um, panic breathing mm. where I would kind of, <gasps> yeah, obviously, I don't know if it, the sound comes across properly, but I would, mm. if I was getting stressed or uptight, I would get this shallow breathing. So, yeah, I can, and that was a sign that even before I'd acknowledged the stress, I would then go, yes. oh, okay, well, that's happening, therefore. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brad, yeah, and I, I get that with my, my shoulders um, very often. It's my shoulder. I, I, I'll feel it in my shoulders sometimes as well if I'm stressed, you know, because the body stores it all. Mm. So, yeah, your body will tell you. And the more time you spend in your body, whether it's through your breath or, or through something like yoga or martial arts are apparently really good for this stuff as well. Mm. But um, the more you spend time in your body rather than up in your head, the more you can pick up on those signs, the more you can notice when you're not breathing or when your shoulders are like almost up by your ears, you're so tense. <laughs> Funnily enough, actually, you might, I don't know if you've been on Insta um, in the last kind of hour or so, I've just, I've just put a post out um, to people working from home, especially today. And it just says, stop slouching, get your ears, get your shoulders out of your ears, ah. uncross your legs, stand up and walk around for five minutes. And then I just put, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> that's really funny. I haven't seen that. No, but that is so funny that that's perfect timing. <laughs> Just interestingly, do you do any online classes with either for yoga or breathwork? I do. I um, teach online yoga classes um, and I also do one-to-one -one sessions primarily aimed at women with ADHD, but you know, you don't have to have ADHD to do it because it's all around uh, emotional regulation. So it's about teaching you some of these breath tools. There might be other things that I can show you as well. Um, depending on, you know, it'll be depending on your particular circumstances, but predominantly breath and to, to give you some, some breath practices to help you with this sort of managing your emotions and relaxing. Now, relaxation is really hard for a lot of us, isn't it? Oh, God, um, definitely. So you can, you know, you can use your breath to relax your body, to relax your mind as well. So I do, and I am um, going to be developing some online sort of group work as well around Brilliant. emotional regulation. So yeah, watch this space. There is Excellent. Esther, it's been lovely having you on the podcast and I'm going to share all your links and everything in the show notes. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thanks, Abby. Bye. Thank you for listening to One in Four, talking mental health with Abby Lacey and friends. Please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast so that others may find us. Remember, One in Four is not intended to take the place of professional help. If you need help, there is a list of resources in the show notes on SoundCloud. And finally, please remember you are not alone.